Welcome back to WeCast. I'm your host, Brock Benson. It's been another great week in the West End of Colorado, and while the winter solstice isn't here yet, the winter weather is sure creeping in. Highs in the mid-40s last week with lows below freezing, and the San Juans are still covered in snow. Christmas vacation from school is coming on this week, and this is the last semester that students will roam the hallways at any of their prospective schools. The new school is about ready to move into, and when we all go back in January, we will be making history as we resume classes in the new K-12 building built on the campus of the Nucla High School. From the Trailhead Sound Lab in Natarita, Colorado, this is a 141 production in cooperation with the Rimrocker Historical Society and the San Miguel Basin Forum. This is Volume 74, Issue Number 28 of the San Miguel Basin Forum, bringing you all the headlines out of the West End of Colorado for the week of November 13th, 2023. The price of uranium as of December 4th is $81.45. All right, in headlines this week, we have business news. Fangle Family Returns to Nucla opens Print Shop by Reagan Tuttle, editor. Josh and Miranda Fangle had opened their business, Split Rock Printworks, located at 490 Main Street in Nucla, by Elf and Eve. The family, who comes most recently from the Yosemite area, has ties to Nucla and now plans to make their home base in the West End. Miranda Fengel's father was an old-time Telluride guy who left the East End of San Miguel County when the flavor of the community began to change at the turn of the century. He bought in Nucla and lived there 20 years before he died in the West End in 2020. Miranda Fengel is also a Colorado native who visited her father often and feels the West End is one of the most beautiful places in the U.S., Now living in her late father's home, she and her husband have set up shop in the old Aero Care building they recently purchased. They've got a successful business already and their own clients doing screen printing on textiles and paper. They create sweatshirts, hoodies, fleece, and other items, as well as posters, print cards, and paper bags. Additionally, they can embroider and complete small format print jobs, and they have photographic printers on site for pictures, too. Most of what they do involves nonprofits and fundraising, but it includes the outdoors as well. They recently established a retail line, Camp 4 Clothing, that caters to the outdoor industry, and that company is blossoming. They've made friends already with Jane Thompson, spokesperson for the Rimrocker Historical Society, and in the future would like to offer live printing events for visitors, making nuclear shirts on site. Miranda Fengel is actually a former museum curator and has a deep love of history. She's intrigued by the local area. The husband and wife team love their new building, constructed in 1938, and they've got some future plans for it too. One of Miranda Fengel's goals in life is to open a bookstore, and she plans to do it with her late father's book collection. She'll establish a quiet place on Main Street in Nucla so that people can visit, have coffee, and work or simply read. In the next year, they hope to start their remodel process in the front part of their building. Quote, it's a lifelong dream, Miranda Fangle said, quote, and wanting to do it and have it be something where the community has a place to go and organizations can meet or kids come after school, end quote. In the meantime, the family will focus on their printing business that concentrates on supporting nonprofits and the outdoors. They're happy to be situated in the midst of so many state and national parks because they've done the work for those too. And the family told the forum they're community-minded and want to support the West End. 
Quote, over the years, we've been coming here a while, we've watched things from afar, and we were thinking of coming here and what we can bring to the community, she said. Miranda Fengel is also a writer and in the process of completing a book, which is nonfiction work. She'll announce more details on that in the future. Split Rock Print Works is up and running, and the Fengel family is on-site daily. Most of their business, though, comes through phone calls and emails. They have a website, splitrockprintworks.com, along with Facebook and Instagram pages. All right, and high school sports wrestling season gets going. Connolly takes first place by Ring and Tuttle editor. Head coach for Mustang Wrestling Rob McCabe told the San Miguel Basin Forum that 10 athletes are on the mat this year, and he's excited for this wrestling season to get going. The guys, there are no females wrestling this year, had a tournament two weekends ago in Moab and finished 8th out of 13. On the team this year are Jackson McCabe wrestling at 113 pounds, Nolan Kressler at 120 pounds, Cole Bray at 126 pounds, Derek Vandalin at 132 pounds, J.W. Naisland at 138, David Quigley at 165, Arthur Connolly at 175, both Paxton Caruso and Hunter Rowe wrestling at 190 pounds, and Jacob Davis at 215. In Utah, Connolly took second, Naisland and Caruso were third in their classes, while Bray and Vandalin were fourth. There are some younger wrestlers this year. Bray, McCabe, and Davis are freshmen. But even upperclassmen had some tough competition across the state line. Coach said it was the first tournament of the 2023-24 season, and the guys did have some jitters. McCabe is again assisted by Lars Naisland this year, and Hemi O'Brien might be manager since he sustained an injury in Moab and is done for the next six weeks. O'Brien is a senior who is participating in both wrestling and basketball. The guys also wrestled in Montrose this past weekend, and there Connolly was first place in the tournament. Rowe was third, and Caruso was fourth. Hunter Rowe wrestled in the JV tournament and took third also. In the second year of leading the nuclear wrestling program, McCabe said he's got goals for the team. Last year saw two state placers and one state qualifier. Quote, I have high expectations for what we are going to do by the time the state tournament rolls around, he said. Quote, we are looking to be in the top ten. That hasn't been done here in Nucla in, I'd say, probably close to 10 years, end quote. With the new school in Nucla almost finished, the guys are ready to move into the new weight room and private wrestling room. Coach was hoping to possibly get in before the new year, but it might have to be after. In other wrestling news, McCabe is happy that the new school will host the Nucla Norwood Wrestling Tournament this year. He's trying to set up a few duels for the Friday night before, too. Wrestling has traditionally had a lot of support in the local area, and Coach said the guys are doing well with resources. He said the school and the board are always looking at what the program needs to be successful, and there is a good following for parents, fans, and former wrestlers that show up and want to see the guys succeed. Coach said that the sport is sort of a legacy in the West End, and there are some families who have been wrestling for three or four generations back for Nucla High School. Quote, they know what it's like cutting weight, and they can connect with the sport. They look back at what kids go through watching them. It replicates the hardships of life, he said. Quote, they've been through it. End quote. The Warrior Classic coming up this weekend in Grand Junction, Friday and Saturday. And in basketball news, boys basketball traveled to Rangeley for the Western Slope Winter Classic. The boys took the championship, beating Olathe 61-51. Steele Arnold led in scoring with 19 points. Slade Gillen, Bryce Rummel, and Daniel Zunich each had 12. In the second game, the guys beat Rangeley 61-47. Rummel led the way with 23 points, Gillen had 15, and Arnold had 11. For the final game, the guys beat Debeck 52-48. Arnold led with 28 points, followed by 11 from Rummel. The girls lost to Rangeley 53-20, but beat North Park 50-32. They lost to Dove Creek Saturday 49-42 and took fourth overall. All right, in rodeo news, two local ladies compete in Las Vegas by Reagan Tuttle, editor. Teresa Files is leaving for Las Vegas this week with her 16-year-old quarter horse gelding, Stifler. 
She's been running barrels on him the last two years and has done well with him regionally. Now she's competing in the all-in barrel race in Las Vegas, an event that happens alongside the National Finals Rodeo. Files has had the horse 14 years. Her partner, Dan Moyer, had him originally, but Stifler never really liked Moyer that well. Files said that she and Moyer both decided Stifler doesn't care much for men. Since Stifler was quick, Moyer figured he could make a decent barrel horse. The gelding, which is a dun in color, has driftwood in his pedigree. Files has done ranch ropings, other cow work, and attended brandings with Stifler. She trained him herself on barrels. She'd previously wanted to do the all-in event in Las Vegas and had entered a few years ago. That, however, was during the COVID pandemic, and she ended up not attending that year. Now she's circled back to that goal and is headed out Wednesday. Whether she wins anything or not, she can cross the all-in barrel race off her bucket list. Yes, Moyer is going with her. So is her dear friend Shannon Smith of Delta. Files and Smith have hauled their horses all over the place together and have been friends the last 30 years. Files gets a practice run Wednesday and then competes on Thursday and Friday. There are approximately 625 people competing in her slate. There was an Another slate a week ago with about the same amount, making for more than 1,200 barrel racers. If she advances for the short go by making the top 10, she will run again on Sunday. A jackpot race contestants have to pay to enter. The events pay for the first seven places in the short go. First place is $20,000 and a trophy saddle. Quote, I've always wanted to do something like this, she told the forum last week. Files agrees it's important for women to follow their dreams, to go for things in life and have experiences. Not only will she meet up with friends who were there to watch the NFR, her daughter will attend along with her cousins. And she's got tickets to see Miranda Lambert in concert, too. Files loves her horse. She said Stifler will do anything for her and go anywhere she asks him. Quote, he's so willing and takes care of himself and takes care of me, she said. Quote, riding in the mountains, he never allows himself to get in trouble and he keeps me safe. He's awesome. I love everything about him. End quote. Anyone in the West End who'd like to try and catch one of Files' rides can get on the Cowboy Channel. The all-in barrel race will be live-streamed on 321actionvideo.com. As Files heads out on December 13th, she encourages others to go out and do the things they want to do in life. Quote, go out and do it, she said. In related news, Shea Snyder, the daughter of Lothan and Reagan Snyder of Norwood, was headed home from Las Vegas after competing over the weekend. The high school freshman qualified in both breakaway roping and barrel racing for the Vegas Toughest Junior World Championship, a large youth rodeo event also running close to the NFR. Snyder decided to only compete in the breakaway roping and rode Johnny Ringo, a horse with Hollywood Dunn in its pedigree. Owned by Hank and Stephanie Williams, Snyder didn't have any luck with the cows in either of her runs, but like Files, she is also following her dreams. All right, in education news, theater, speeches, guest speakers, and more at Nucla High School by Melisha Reed, Nucla High School. As the fall semester comes to a close, students and staff at Nucla High and Junior High School reflect on productions, presenters, and activities. This month kicked off with a drama class theater production led by Mr. Benson, featuring the 7th and 8th graders in The Day the Cow Dreamer Ran Away and How the Curious Son Was Saved, both by Nikki Harmon. The high schoolers performed Desperate Housewives of Shakespeare by Jane and Jim Jeffries and The Experiment by Brent Holland. School administration agrees students were outstanding in their performances and kept the audience in stitches and on their toes. Next, the school had its study night, for which all teachers volunteered to stay from 4 to 8 p.m. to help students 
study for their upcoming finals and get caught up on their work. This year, 64 junior high and high school students showed up for study night. Students were required to stay a minimum of 30 minutes and by doing so, received extra credit in their classes. Mrs. Brandy McCabe has been working with the 8th grade class on public speaking and invited parents and students to watch kids perform monologues. Each student selected a monologue to memorize that was at least 90 seconds long, and they presented those on stage. The goal was to begin teaching students the skills of public speaking and prepare them for the 8th grade speeches that take place in the spring. Monologues range from movies like The Little Rascals, The Princess Diaries, and The Parent Trap to famous speeches by U.S. presidents and world leaders. Additionally, high school students met with guest speaker Judy Muller and George Lewis, who have worked as professional journalists at the national level, courtesy of the True North Youth Program. The pair spoke about writing, presenting, and how to create a good story pitch. School administration said their visit was a great experience for the teens. Recently, high school students in the Ag 2 class took a trip to Galley Ranches and assisted in administering vaccinations. They also watched a veterinarian check cows to see if they were pregnant and how far along. Students were able to look at ultrasound images and see a fetus in real time. Mr. Arnold, the school counselor, hosted the ACT for students from the local region to come and test at Nuclear High School. Additionally, representatives of the Universal Technical Institute came to Nuclear High School. They discussed not only their trades programs, but spoke to students about their decisions that will be coming their way in the near future regarding career paths. This week, the school band has a winter concert scheduled and the FFA Quiz Bowl team will be traveling to Fruta for district competition and the Future Farmers of America officer team is planning holiday festivities. Administration agree the staff and students are accomplishing amazing things, and while the community may not be able to see everything take place, they're reminded of Peyton Naslin's recent 8th grade monologue, quote, you plant a seed in the ground and a whole world develops, stretches out, and opens up, end quote. The quote is from superhero character Stargirl. All right, on page two, we have Ag Talk, A Wolf in Sheep's Clothing by Kieran Bray. As many of you may know, in November of 2020, Proposition 114, the reintroduction and management of gray wolves, ballot question was approved, meaning the Colorado Wolf and Wildlife Center and the Colorado Parks and Wildlife are going to bring gray wolves back into Colorado. And for those of you who didn't know that, now you do. As a rancher, there are many reasons why introducing wolves back into Colorado is a bad idea, and not just for me, but for people all around Colorado. However, I am not here to talk about why it's a bad idea. That's for another time. Today, I'm here to talk about the Colorado Wolf and Wildlife Center asking middle school students to help name the wolves that are going to be released. That's right. Name the wolves. The Colorado Wolf and Wildlife Center is asking middle school students from public schools all around Colorado to help vote on names for the wolves. They created a list of 14 names for the students to choose from. Those names include uh, Aspen, Luna, Maverick, Kikoa, Chinook, Shadow, River, Star, Freedom, Amarack, Ghost, Sky, Spirit, and Raven. Each kid gets to vote on their favorite name, and the first wolf that will be released into Colorado will have the name that got the most votes. The rest of the names will be used for the remaining wolves being released. According to the Colorado Wolf and Wildlife Center, naming the wolves will make it easier for people to keep up with the wolves. A website is being created that the public can use to learn more information about where certain wolf packs are and their activities. I will leave a link for the website at the end for those who want to check it out. What bothers me the most about people wanting to name the wolves is that they are only asking middle school students for their input. Why would they not want high school students' opinions, or even college kids' opinions? 
There might be a good reason for them not wanting older kids to have an opinion. I haven't seen any reason as to why not ask for older kids' opinions. I have the impression that they are targeting a younger generation that probably doesn't fully understand the impact of the situation. Kids can name anything, and after it has a name, it will have a sentimental value. I mean, it's a great way to get kids involved in the process. You get to name the wolf, and all they can think of is how little Luna is doing out in the wild, hoping that they are safe and protected, thinking that they will do whatever they can to help protect them. I have to say, it's smart to target the younger generation, especially if they are wanting this to be a long-lasting thing. I just think that it's important to be aware that our younger generation is being targeted by these types of things, and we need to be careful with how we approach these topics. And in news out of Norwood, Robert McKeever to Storytell with Talking Gourds, special to the forum. The Stories and Poems series at the Lone Cone Library on December 20 features Norwood local Robert McKeever telling stories. Quote, Bob is a great storyteller, said Talking Gourds director Art Goodtimes. Quote, he has seen many, many changes on Wright's Mesa and has led a fascinating life. Come here and share some of the things that have happened here and that you probably never read about in the papers. And because it gets dark so early, we've moved the event up to 6 p.m. End quote. The fourth generation of the McKeever family, he attended the Norwood schools as a youngster. His family worked in the timber industry locally since the 1890s, supporting the mines in Telluride, Uray, Silverton, and later the uranium mines in the West End. Their operation closed in the mid-1990s. During his youth, McKeever would travel with his family to Sanborn Park, where they had a large sawmill, and in the winters they would return to Norwood, where his two brothers and his sister were able to go to school. He desperately did not want to go to school in Sanborn Park because their school schedule was during the summer, so the night of his graduation in 1971, he up and joined the U.S. Army. His folks were pleased, but McKeever's plan to get assigned to Germany by enlisting instead of being drafted and sent to Vietnam was successful. Quote, it turned out to be a really good choice, he explained, quote, because I got to travel in Europe extensively and was able to spend two winters in the Alps on ski patrol for the military, end quote. Honorably discharged in 1974, he returned to Norwood and worked with his brother Mick McKeever in the timber industry and with his father, Popcorn McKeever, building houses. In 1976, he decided to take advantage of the GI Bill and attended Fort Lewis College in Durango, getting a degree in archaeology and a minor in geology and education. While working as an archaeologist, he soon found that he couldn't support a wife and two young boys on the salary he was receiving from the BLM. So he returned to Norwood and went back to work in the timber industry and helped build houses. In 1985, he took the job as public works director for the town of Norwood. The job really didn't fit him well, so in 1990, he landed a job with the U.S. Forest Service working as an archaeologist, firefighter, engineer, and horse packer. He retired in 2017, having spent a majority of his career in western Colorado. Since his retirement, he has channeled his energies into restoring old family houses, with many trips to Mexico and Alaska. Stories and Poems follows a similar format. There will be a performance of a featured storyteller or poet, followed by a question-and-answer session, and then a gourd circle. At that point, everyone present will be invited to tell a story, perform a poem, original or a favorite written by someone else, read a short section of prose, or simply pass the gourd on to the next person. A collaboration of the Lone Cone Library and the Telluride Institute's Talking Gourds Poetry Program, Stories and Poems is free and open to all ages thanks to the generosity of private donors and the Fisher Cantor Poetry Contest. For more information, the public may text 970-729-0220 or email goodtimes at shrumpa at gmail.com. That's S-H-R-O-O-M-P-A at gmail.com. 
All are welcome to visit www.telluriteinstitute.org forward slash talking gourds. All right, now for my favorite section, History, Rimrocker Historical Society, The Coke Ovens Part 2 by Sharon Johansson, Rimrocker Historical Society. Outside of Natarita, as you head into Paradox Valley, is the area of the Coke Ovens. The corner has always been called the Coke Ovens as far as our recent history goes. Last week, I explained how the Coke Ovens were built for the copper mines in Paradox Valley. After they stopped using the Coke Ovens to make Coke for the smelters, the Coke Ovens area became quite the little bustling community. By January 1909, the road had been surveyed by Mr. Hans from the Norwood Post Office to Coke Ovens at the Dry Creek Cutoff and from Dry Creek Bridge to E.T. Ray's Ranch and is hereby declared a county road, according to documents at the museum. In October of 1909, an article in the Telluride Journal stated, quote, As a result of the demand for better roads made by the heavy freighting incident to the mining activities in this end of the county, the road from Paradox to the Coke Ovens is to be graded and put in first-class shape, and a new road is to be built from the Coke Ovens to Natarita, end quote. Standard Chemical Company of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania had been mining for vanadium, but after realizing the shortage of radium and knowing there was a large amount of it in southwestern Colorado, they began buying up claims and building up their company in that area. The first thing they did was build the headquarters at the Coke Ovens. Roads were improved, a telephone line was run to the Coke Ovens, and their headquarters became a bustling camp. They built a 38-by-70-foot barn a commissary, and many other buildings. The rock house that was there from the earlier Coke oven days became a home for employees. Standard Chemical Company would soon build another camp near the club ranch, which would eventually become the town of Yerevan in the far future. That camp was called the Joe Jr. Camp, and with the Coke oven camp, this area began to boom with mining activity. John Galley had come west from Pennsylvania looking for work and adventure and became an important employee of Standard Chemical Company. He married Margaret Biglin of Nucla and they moved into the rock house as newlyweds. Their memories of that time as shared to the Rim Rockers are in our standard chemical company archives. They made their home here in the West End even after the radium mining ceased to be a viable business. Their descendants, Stan Galley and Debbie Waitolka, are still living here. Quote, John held several positions while he worked for Standard Chemical. He worked his way up from commissary man to chief clerk and assistant to Mr. Mullen, the superintendent. Margaret taught the Mullen children for a couple of years. John and Margaret Galley moved to the Coke Ovens after they married. Their first home was the Rock House, which had been built during the early days as part of the Coke Ovens operations. Margaret and John's first child, Helen, was born at the Coke Ovens. Quote, the rest of the couples lived in tents, but for all that, they became fast friends. Many of them were newlyweds, and they had a lot of fun. The galleys had a piano, and so did some of the others. Someone was always playing it, and the group would sing songs. They played cards on Saturday and Sunday nights. Sometimes they would eat beefsteak fries and things like that. The years spent at Standard Camp were rough, but the couple remembered old friends and fun times. End quote. Although the Coke Ovens was the headquarters of Standard Chemical Company, the main mill was built at the Joe Jr. Camp, and the surrounding mines would haul their ore to the Joe Jr. Both camps were very busy communities, and the mining of radium was their main business. During the year of 1912, according to a Salt Lake City news source, quote, 72 train carloads of vanadium, uranium, and Carnotite ore valued at $432,000 had been shipped out of the Paradox Valley, Montrose County, Colorado, end quote. 
Alas, after radium was found in the Belgian Congo in 1923, Standard Chemical Company closed up business and left Colorado. It was one of the first big busts to happen to our area, and everything except for the rock house at the Coke Ovens camp disappeared, as did most of the buildings at the Joe Jr. It is hard to drive by the Coke Oven Ranch now and think that there was a huge operation that happened there. Thankfully, the rock house has been preserved. All right, Sharon, thank you so much for that story. And thank you, Reagan Tuttle, for yet another edition of our amazing local newspaper focused on local stories only. We are so proud of you. From the Trailhead Sound Lab in Natarita, Colorado, this has been a 141 production in cooperation with the Rimrocker Historical Society and the San Miguel Basin Forum. This has been Volume 74, Issue Number 28 of the San Miguel Basin Forum, bringing you all the headlines out of the West End of Colorado for the week of November 13th, 2023. I'm Brock Benson. We'll see you next week. <laughs>